Okay, here we go. One second, real quick. All right, welcome back to another episode of Business of Film. This is episode number 71. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to an episode of... Wait a second, did I already say what we're listening to the episode? You did. You did already say that. Did I fuck up the intro? You might have. I screwed up the intro. Maybe a little. I think I've got stage fright. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here in uh, our story room here at uh, Craft <coughs> slash uh, the day job, uh, and... We have with us uh, three characters that you know, at least two of them that you know. Uh, one is Jeff Glickman, who's been a guest on this uh, podcast and on our Craft Truck Through the Lens. Hey! There's, there's Glickman. We also got Alexis Reeve in the house. Hi. Keep eating. Keep eating. That's good. What is that, by the no, way? What is it? What do you, what do you got Greek there? Greek salad. Greek salad? That's That's salad. I always find, like, if you get the, the crunchier ones, it really is going to help with I your... I can chew into the mic. That'd be great. We just... Here, we're gonna mm-hmm. the mic no, don't lose my... It's scratching on the thing. It'll be fine. Yeah, you just... Here we go. Get some, get some good... There we go. That's solid. Oh, right that's there. a crunch. That was a good crunch. That's crunchy. Yeah. That's crunchy. You can in tweet the, all of your upsetness at me. A foley in the, uh, in the story It's true. We got foley in the story room. And also we got Ira Wells is in the house. Ira, say hi. I just finished my lunch. I can't I can't give you anything. You, you got nothing? I got no masticatory sounds. You know, it's funny. We no were gustatory sounds. No, because <laughs> we were just talking about umami before. We just said, you know, and, and what umami is. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Ira, what is umami? Uh, it's a perfectly pleasant. What was it last time? It was a, sa- a pleasant and savory taste. A pleasant, but, but there's a reason why you were saying, and this is how, how we got into it. There's a reason why ketchup is there. There can only be one ketchup. Right. There can be infinite variety of mustard. You can have an infinite number of different kinds of mustard, but there will only ever be one ketchup, and that is because it hits the four quadrants, which are. Well, I don't know what the four quadrants are. Does anybody hear? We, we already did. We not get this sweet, salty, yeah. bitter, sweet, salty, spicy. Jesus yeah. Christ! Why are we talking about language? Okay, for all the people out there that would be offended by by the uh, no, this is important stuff, man. Sweet, sour, again. bitter, what salty, just, and what I just do? What I just do? Sour, sour is bitter. Sour is. What I just what was Thanks for that. What's things. the word? What's what the do word? you mean? What I just did by saying the JC like that. I don't know. What did you just blasphemy? do? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Sorry. For all those who be offended by blasphemy, I apologize. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay. Well, oh, we're off to a really, really interesting start. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what? I guarantee you. Fascinating. We're, 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 all right. So what are, the, what are the questions? What are the, the questions? Well, okay. The questions. Spur, okay. The, spur the, the conversation forward with the questions. Like, with, okay. It's questions. Okay. So I wanted to do an episode called In the Story Room. Right. I felt it was kind of a fun opportunity for us since we are literally in our, our war room right here, our story room. Yeah. We're in a room, yeah. And I, <laughs> I wanted to start with with you, Glickman. Yes. I, I want you to debunk the myths of, <coughs> of, of why people believe yes. that books on screenwriting yes. are should be followed as gospel, why people think they should be followed as gospel, and why, in fact, they should not be. Uh-huh. Okay, so first of all, it's a leading question. You're presuming, first of all, that I don't believe that they should be followed as gospel. When, in fact, I do. I think if you just follow all 100 books on screenwriting to the T, you will come out with a perfect screenplay that's guaranteed to make money. No. Um, and there you uh, have it. It is. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you for being on through that. <laughs> We're done. Uh, thank you for being on Crap Truck. We're done. No. Uh, well, that's a, good, that's a good question. I mean, it, it, the problem is this, is that the... Okay, so uh, there's a lot of noise in the channel, and there's a lot of factors that have led into this sort of belief. And in fact, I think there's even some 
papers or blogs recently that basically say that Blake Snyder ruined film, has ruined film because people follow his his uh, his method or his structure too much, so much so that it's lost any kind of there's in, there's no there's there's no um, meaning to it anymore. No meaning or no, no originality or whatever. And for those, just for those who are listening, Blake Snyder is the author of the, the Save the, yeah, the Cat, the Save the Cat, right. yeah. which is great stuff, by the way. But. Although part of the strength of the formula that he, that he offers in Save the Cat is the fact that he he projects it retrospectively. So he, he shows how the formula was operating before he came up with it. Right. But the funny, the irony to that is even Mike, Mike Cheetah, his, like his long-time writing, one of his long-time writing partners and a friend of ours and somebody, you know, we've worked with a, you know, a lot in this room. Every and we've week. had Mike on the show, by the way. So people can had, Mike, yeah. yeah, Mike, if you want to listen to Mike's episode, you can find it on, on in our feed. But go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. But even Mike said, like, like when, when, when Blake was doing his thing where he was putting every one of the movies that he was talking about into his boxes... Mike was saying, you know, you're, you're shoehorning that, Blake. You're shoehorning that one, and it doesn't really fit that fit that model, right? And I don't know some specific examples. Is Titanic really a buddy movie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what she said. Oh, did he say it is? Yeah. yeah, there you go. There's a good example. Is Titanic really a buddy movie, or is it a boat with a problem? Anyway. It's a boat with a problem. It's a boat with a problem. Anyway. So, so, but, but, okay, nice so get, zoom, zooming back out to why, why is this myth promulgated? Why? why, why <laughs> Why is this myth promulgated? This idea that um, that there's a structure that, or that the books are the way to go. I think. Okay, so we've exited a period so of of, of, of filmmaking and the, and and business uh, box office where we all know for you know what we can all agree on is what basically Steven Soderbergh was going on a rant about about two years ago, or whatever. Where the only thing the um, studios are interested in doing is creating huge tent poles that they sink so much money into that they can't fail because there's going to be so much action and some, such a massive set piece that they can't fail. And that he's also going to... Um, uh, 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 that they're going to market the living heck out of them spending. So that, that way, it's, it's, like, it's like a savior. It's like instead of trying to build small apartment buildings, we're just going to build a massive condo. Oh, they got it. Uh, they're going to build a massive condo that's so big that... You know, we know that it won't fail because we put so much money into it that, it, that it'll succeed, even if it succeeds moderately or whatever. And that's where the system is at right now: is that is that the, there's no room for indies. And another factor that's feeding into this is the fact that because everything is available right now, everywhere in the world, indies are getting harder and harder to succeed. Because where do you find the market share to be seen when? You know, you can watch everything ever made at the push of a button. Uh, you know, why would I watch your new $2 million indie film? So it, it's getting harder. So what's happened is is that people are looking hard, more and more, um, uh, more and more, in a more, more and more motivated way to find a formula that works. So they go to this series of formulas that are spelled out on paper in these books. And I, I think that's why... Um, and also, and when you say they, you're referring to writers. Young writers, writers are going to the formula because they think that by following the formula, yes. it's going to fall into the studio yes. checkbox system. Yes. Never mind right. when Ben Hecht was writing and Billy Wilder was writing and Ernst Lubitsch was writing and, 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 and the real Golden Age of Cinema was happening. They didn't have any of this. They understood inherently certain things. Well, there's got to be, a, you know, excuse my, my terminology. There's got to be a dame, and then there's got to, you know, there's got to be, a, you know, there's a love interest, and then, and then what happens when the hero does this? And they, and they, they formulated all these ideas, and they did it in an exploratory and kind of edge pushing way. And if you have a movie like The Thin Man that just rides on dialogue the whole time and isn't particularly that, 
you know, plot structured, that's one thing. But if you have a movie like Lawrence of Arabia that, you know, is brilliantly structured but has no women in it, you know, that's, you know, Robert Bull's screen, but that's not such a big deal either. So, uh, you know, literally no women in the entire movie. So, um, what we have now is is that we've got distance from these from this exploratory time. We've gone through a period of the '60s and '70s where movies really got back to being direct director uh, driven and, um, and 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 creative and pushing boundaries in every way, structurally, <coughs> script wise, content wise, and and they it's emerged into like the return of the modernist idea, but packaged back into like really small boxes. And when box office started to slump, it was like, oh, we really got to push that now because it's the only way we can stay safe as a business. So um, in retrospect, all of these authors, you know, whether it's Blake Snyder or it's Sid Field, you know, who sort of... Bob McKee. Bob McKee, right, yeah, you're Robert McKee. They all come out with these, well, let's look back at the history of movies and say, well, what, what can we learn from all these movies that worked? And they toss out the exceptions. They toss out the taxi drivers. They toss out, you know... Uh, uh, I think Sid Field wrote a, a forward addressing Pulp Fiction because so many people challenged him with Pulp Fiction. But like, they toss out any of the outliers and they go with the straight, the straight structure. And none of it is wrong. The problem is that people feel like they are obeying the structure by ticking these boxes, and they're not necessarily writing anything that is compelling because they. It's kind of coming from an empty place. It's just like let's just fill all these boxes, but there's nothing really driving. Okay, so here, okay, yeah, so yeah. are we talking now about trying to fill boxes for the sake of creating plot and structure, or are we starting from character? Ira, well, I think it. I think it comes down to who who you think is is reading this stuff and who's on the other end of it. Um, and if you're if you're writing a screenplay thinking that there's some anonymous person in a suit. Uh, in Los Angeles who on page 10 wants to see this and on page 15 wants to see this in other words if if you're just writing to to tick the boxes um, then I think that, that there is something sort of spirit crushing about that and that it does diminish your own sense of the integrity of, of the piece and yet at the same time you worry that that if, you, if you're not hitting those beats and if you're not hitting those markers on you know by by page 30 if we're not into Act two, then there's a big problem. Well, here, uh, Alexis, you've read probably hundreds of screenplays now on behalf of uh, of, of our group here, where people come and they and they submit stuff to at us. At least point seven or eight hundreds. Point seven or eight hundreds. Where I mean, because you've seen so much, where are a? Do you have those expectations that people should be hitting these markers by these pages? Uh, as I was saying, or is it more of an organic thing where if it ain't good, it ain't good. Forget about what is, is on that, the pages. I think that there's a difference. I mean, I think that this structure that these books sort of lay out is a good guideline as long as you're not holding it as, you know, as, as the Bible. It's, if you're reading a really terribly written screenplay, but it, you know, breaks into two on page 15 and all the, it hits all the markers, it doesn't make it any better. But if you're reading something and maybe the dialogue is okay and maybe one of the one or two of the characters are interesting, but it's meandering and it doesn't go anywhere or hit the structure that you need from watching a film, then that's a problem. Right, because there is a certain expectation that an audience has. Yeah. But you're not writing to the expectation. That's kind of your point. That's that's what I think. I think that if the idea is good and the characters are good, you can vary away a little from the structure as long as you understand what the structure is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it is amazing how many how many of those, those structural points 
uh, are borne out in the history of cinema. Like how you know, Blake Snyder in the, in the Save the Cat book says that at the five-minute mark, the theme of the film will be stated. And, right. it's, and it's shocking how many films like actually just come out and tell you the theme of the, of the film five minutes in. It is, yeah. yeah. But you don't think that's just... It just by Is that... It wasn't necessarily done on purpose. I think per it was just se. a kind of intuitive thing. Yeah. That these archetypes were always working. They're just right. they're story archetypes that have been around for exactly since Homer, right? And right. It's just yeah. that, that um, uh, and I think that some of the screenwriters that Jeff mentioned were were working more intuitively with this, and that, and that particularly Blake Snyder's genius was to make it explicit and to sort of bring these things to the surface, but in ways that can now feel a bit pink by numbers. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, there's nothing worse. This goes to what you were saying uh, about about like when you're reading the screenplay. There's nothing worse than seeing somebody think they're fulfilling the paradigm of the story, and meanwhile they've completely chucked out their own best idea. And it happens all the, like when we get. I mean, and like, look, like, who are we to talk? Whatever. We're just like people working on something here, right? But like, but everybody's somebody working. Every, on everybody, everybody. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying, like, like. I don't want to sound like like no, no. everybody everybody who who who's working in this business screenwriter filmmaker whether uh, any kind of creative capacity yeah. people work on this shit and think about it all the time so yeah. I think anybody's anybody's point on this is out yeah, may, may, maybe but I, I used to like without wanting to sound like like didactic or condescending it's just like you get these pitches and it's like it just feels like somebody like didn't think about what came out the other end by the time they were so they lost sight of the forest through the trees they were so into trying to work their idea and hit these these paradigm markers and milestones that they completely forgot does this make any sense right and then so you get the pitch at the other end that's come out the out of the sausage factory it's come out you know shaped and molded to what they thought was perfect structure and you're like but this doesn't make any fu- like any fucking sense. Like none of this makes any sense. Like your your idea. Or more so when you get the idea yeah. and the idea itself is great, and, and then the execution of it is just so bad. Yeah, yeah. They they they've screwed their own idea and, and like they put the toilet the the, uh, the light bulb into the faucet. Like it just doesn't it just doesn't add up anymore. And like that, ha- I would say that happens like. Well, most, most, I would say I don't think it's in every generation. I think most screenplays that are written are bad. I think that's a given. Um, but the but within the, the field of bad, it's really heartbreaking when you see someone have a good instinct and idea at the beginning, and then they ruined it by trying to go to, to, to overturn it or whatever, over twist it. You know. So let, let's let's take a little bit of a tangent here. Sure. Great screenplays fall on great character. So yes. Do you when, when the, the starting kernel of the idea when you're kind of starting to develop new concepts, new ideas? Sometimes we'll start with. Uh, an idea that might not be a story, or they start with a character, or they start by a, um, I don't know, just just some germination of some idea that will magically they hope form into some kind of a story. But let's let's talk about character and process. Um, where do you start when you when you, Alexis and you're thinking of of both character and process? Uh, it really depends on the initial idea because sometimes we'll start from a place of. I have this character that's great and how do we show his arc and make it better and make it interesting but there are times where we have the concept you know this is the world we want to play in and then you have to go and say who is the character that plays best in this world and what is his arc you have to figure out who the person is and where they're going before you can figure out the story no so you okay so you're 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 following in the figure out who the character is first kind of yeah I mean I don't say I always start with the character I sometimes we sometimes start with the idea but once you have the idea you need to figure out who the character is before you can move forward I, I totally agree I, I think I think it's because they're so intimately connected because the best 
movie. Okay, so a movie is always boils down to: Do you want to see this movie? You know, here's the idea for the movie, and contained in that idea, which is usually centered on, like every movie is basically summed up 100%. The idea for it is summed up as what happens is to be to be general about it, to break into two, right? Um, you know, Star Wars is about this. You know, Luke Skywalker will he go and destroy the Death Star and save and save the princess. And that is, you know, 20 minutes in. It's always 20 minutes in. It's, paid, you know, 20 to 25 or 30, depending on, you know, how long it is. It's in that first quarter of the break, the, the break into the second act is, is the whole movie. And the, the great thing about that moment is there's an irony. Uh, there's an irony between the person and the journey they have to go on. So to sum up what you're, you know, like, you know, it, the concept is like, okay, we're going to play in this world with this idea, but... The person that fits into it, you know, like like a ball and a cup. So you can either start with a cup or you can start with a ball. But sooner or later, they do have to have to have to fit, right? Um, so that's you either get you get to that point somewhere or another. And if you don't get to that point, then you for sure don't have a movie. Yeah. So and the, and the, the con- it's always most exciting when the concept and the character are so intimately linked that you weren't sure whether or not they were starting with the character or the concept, right? Like, I mean, if you. Uh, would Die Hard have been Die Hard without John McClane? Right, that's a good. That's a good one. Yeah, um, you you could have. You could oh, have no, done. Sorry, that's like, could you have done Die Hard? John McClane wasn't a police officer. Is that your point, or, or, or just it, without without the character? He is as a concept. person, like at the. But when you think Die Hard, you think John McClane. Do you think the concept, or do you think the character? When you think of like The Shining, like you could have, you, you could you could have created a Shining without that Jack Nicholson as 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 the anchor. But did they start with that character? Or did they start with the with the concept with the Overlook Hotel and with the? It's funny, because I thought you were talking about the boy. I'm thinking, I said, like, can you do the shining without the little boy? No, you can't. Right. You right. know, well, there are probably better examples of this, but where there's a, there's a, obviously a very tight concept, and then there's um, a character, and you're not sure what they become. <laughs> yeah. right. can, can you do Back to the Future without Marty McFly? You know, without you know, without that character, and you know, and and and, and you know, the getting shot down from school and never being able to, you know, right. you know, having this loser of a family that he doesn't fit into. You know, does it does it even does it even get half as exciting? No, not really. You know, because he wanted to save his family. What are the best exceptions to the rule? Do you think exceptions to the rule? Yeah, where they carry, where they break all the rules, where they break, and yet they just somehow come up with something that you can't re- oh, repeat. Man, it's a, it's sometimes on the fly. I have to think of the movies that actually don't seem to meet the paradigm. But you know, I mean, I think it. Well, anything by Von Trier. Let's just say that <laughs> it's like you know, except for ironically, *Nymphomaniac*, which is perfectly suited, it's right? Structured. Um, uh, or Michael Michael Haneke. Yeah, anything by Michael Haneke. Yeah, which is those are kind of like explore explorations of like a group of characters. Yeah. I'm know? pretty sure it's safe to say that Werner Herzog did not go by *Save the Cat*. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, although Fitzcarraldo, you know, I mean, you know, the guy, the, the, the perfectly wrong guy to try and take a boat over the river, you know. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think again, like the one I always go to is is Taxi Driver, where for me, trying to figure out what keeps compelling is that the antagonist is the same person as the protagonist, and they do, and it's very subtle, and before before you know it, he's two characters, but you don't really know it, you know. Um, that that's you know, that, that's like that's like one that I always come back to as being kind of like breaking structure. I'd have to, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared for this, but I have to try and think of other examples where it really doesn't meet the structure and you have to figure out what, what keeps it compelling right. you know? but there's, there's plenty of examples there's also examples of like auteurs who also go by surprisingly by the structure and I think a good example of that is Woody Allen Woody Allen yeah, nails exactly. all the beats in every movie yeah he really does yeah. Um, he's yeah. a genius when it comes to story though like in general totally and, genius and, and, 
It, he, the great thing about what he will do, or one of one of the great things, other than being brilliant with dialogue and brilliant with, with with you know the way he executes the same idea, is the turn of characters' velocities. You know, so in Manhattan Murder Mystery, at first it's you know it's it's Diane Keaton that wants to investigate like what's going on. This will be weird with the neighbors. Just I think that they murdered someone, and Woody Allen is just scared. Like, what are you doing? We're going to get in trouble. And then and then it switches. He's the one who's driving the action, and she doesn't want to do it anymore. Right. Right. Um, and he does that in every single movie. You'll see, like, they'll, they'll switch. You know, it's the same thing in Annie Hall. First, he's the one that wants to live a certain way, and she doesn't, and then it switches. You know, um, you know, she wants to move to L.A. She wants to do that. She wants to be in show business, you know. you know. So those, those kinds of turns in the story, you know, are what make the, you know, what help fit the fit the structure because you're you're turning the story on its, on, on its axis on those points. Let's talk about uh, pitching and the log line because ultimately you got to grab people's attention pretty quickly the log line is your story. If you can't articulate what your story is to someone succinctly, then there's probably something wrong with your story. So mm-hmm. let's, uh, Alexis, uh, let's kind of just do a, a round table here on uh, either A, what makes a, a good pitch, what makes a bad pitch, and any advice uh, on, on pitching and story. So Alexis, you're up first. I don't know if I'm the best person to say what makes a good pitch or a bad pitch. What I would say yeah, is you're really not the best person, Ira. What were you thinking Who let the women in the room? <laughs> what I can say is though, from my experience, that if you don't know your story, it's impossible to get to the log line. If you don't understand, like if your full script isn't really well flushed out, at least in your mind, you can't get to a one page. And if you can't get to a one page, you can't get to a shorter synopsis into a logline. You really need to understand all the elements to figure out, distill it to those two sentences that are really compelling and interesting and get people's attention. And try that. Like if, if you're listening to this and you're trying to you know, uh, articulate your story, just go up to some random person in the street, go to somebody in a bar in a coffee shop, and just say, hey, can I, can I just t- tell you my story for something? Just try it. Family member, friend, anybody, try and tell them your story. If you can't get it out in under 30 seconds... Uh, then there's probably something wrong with the story, and you don't know your story. That's my guess, but I'm just interjecting. Here. Go no, ahead. That, that's exactly correct. I mean, the, 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 it's it's the same thing with the one page. You know, uh, I mean, this this to me is like again judging other people's work. It's like it's always so much easier than your own. But like, it's like I, I've never, I have yet to be proven wrong on this one. Somebody will say like I have an idea for a movie, blah blah blah, blah and I'll say send me the one page, and it's like this thing that happens they don't believe that your criticisms of the one page are going to be fair to the to what this full script is no you got to read the whole thing but every time i read a one page my opinion of that one page is 95 percent accurate blueprint to the 100 page version but is the one page do most people do one pages and this is where the definition of one page is that i think is important uh, some people will do a one page and they'll end their one page. Oh no, you can't do that. You can, at, yeah, I know. They'll end it at, 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 at the hook. Right, right. So, but then also now he has to go into a world full of mystery and adventure and find out why dogs can't piss sideways. Something like that. It's like that dot dot dot. Right, right, right. It, it, no, no. The one page is give me your whole story, beginning, middle, and end in one page. In one page. And I think actually Cheetah has a funny one on this one. He said that um, uh, one guy challenged him one time about writing *Romancing the Stone* as one page. It actually is a very complicated story. Like it's it's shockingly over over complicated. It's really like there's a lot. It's almost like it took more influence from *The Big Sleep* than it did from uh, *Indiana Jones*. It's just like there's a lot of shit going on, a lot of characters. And he wrote it in like seven eighths of a page. Like the whole thing is right there. 
You know, like it, it, any good movie will summarize into a page, and if it doesn't summarize into a page, there's something wrong with the story, not something wrong with the page or the font. And a lot of the time, <laughs> yeah. uh, fonts are important. Yeah. Uh, a yeah. lot of time, probably people get uh, get distracted because they will overwrite their first act because the first act is sometimes the easiest for people to articulate because they know their story up until the break into two. Yeah. And so far you've got... So what you people normally find in the one-page summary is the... Half the page is yes. the first act. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And right there, right there, you know there's a problem. Right? But I, I, the, the bigger point to me, though, is that is that the one page tells on itself. Like, it's, it's like... It's, it's amazing how good it is at telling on the story. Right, so... The, it's a tell. It's right. just, it's so like, the takeaway here is if you're yeah. writing a story, you're a filmmaker, you're writing a story, try and write it down on one page. If you can't, you should be able to see on that page where the spaces are, where the problems are. Yeah, and don't tell your friend who says, but I read your story and this doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense. Don't tell them, well, you got to read the whole script. Don't do that. It, 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 you may have to go back to the script to fix it. You may have to go back to a board to fix it. But that doesn't mean that the one page is lying. Coming back to the original question yeah. on on pitching, yeah. What may, what makes good pitches, bad pitches? Where do people? Well, I mean, first of all, like I mean, uh, uh, you know, being a good pitcher, I mean, you know, that's the sales technique, right? So it's a whole other conversation outside of the writing, you know, because there are people out there that can pitch really, really well, and they just have a great way of even covering up their own shortcomings in whatever they're pitching in the way they pitch it. You know, it's like anything. It's like, you know, a kid comes home and, you know, mom, the school called and she's waiting there at the table and what happened? Well, that kid can, you know, spitball that explanation in such a way that he covers up a bunch of things, you know, like, and, and, and by the time you're done, it really wasn't so bad what happened. You know, in fact, I was really the victim. That Some people are so good with their own fucking work that they make their screenplay sound better than it is. Um, but if you... If you on the subject of what makes for a good log line or what makes for a good story, it's like if it summarizes and there's great irony, there's a, a compelling character, a journey you want to see him go on, and you go, oh, yeah, I want to see that, right? And and, and unlike a one page, uh, a pitch does usually end at the break into two with maybe a little bit of of, of detail of what happens later. Um, then you're then then you're off to the races. You know, you have a good idea for a movie. Execution is another matter, right? Ira. I think you guys have pretty much nailed it. I mean, I think I think that good log lines um, indicate some sense of the stakes, and that they um, they tend to maximize irony, in the sense that like you want to, you want to really demonstrate that this is a fish out of water. Uh, that that if you if you've got a character who's who's trapped on the top of a mountain, that um, he, that he's got a fear of heights, or um, you, you know. Better versions of that, but you really want to like emphasize that this is a fish out of water, and to and to maximize the ironic sort of torque of that right from the log line. I like that ironic torque. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You're like a, a, a writer or something. You're like, you're like some kind of doctorate in English or something of that nature. I, I like that ironic torque. Can I can I use that? Uh, it, it's, it's, yours, it's yours, Jesse. Yeah. It's your ironic work. It's your IP. <laughs> it's my IP. It's your IP. It's your IP. The title of this episode is going to be the ironic torque. Of the Actually, show. I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to send a, in Twitter hashtag. Want to know what ironic torque is? Click here. <laughs> hashtag ironic torque. You know, that's you're going to get like twelve thousand Facebook shares for that. Or twelve. Yeah. That's really <laughs> click click. Yeah. Great, click bait. Click yeah. right there. <laughs> Distractingly sexy. <laughs> All right, so I think we're right about time here on this episode. Any final thoughts on 
story, things you want uh, people to take away? Yeah, so uh, maybe uh, Alexis, you could talk a little bit about 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 working when you you know when you've got somebody that you're working with, like a writing partner, and like and like they come up with a really bad idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that. That's a good question. Yeah, 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 Alexis, yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Well, I think writing partners. I think it works really well in a group. I think writing in a vacuum is harder because. You either have someone who can sit there and you can just throw idea after idea after idea at the wall, and eventually someone, like, something will stick, but you can't pick it out yourself. The only way to get to a good idea is to throw out a thousand shitty ideas and find something, and even if it's just a kernel in something that makes you think about the next beat or whatever it is, I think doing it out loud and speaking with someone and being able to sort of pass the ball back and forth on on who's kind of coming up with something versus listening and, and picking through what's great is really helpful. Now, I don't know where I heard this once, but somewhere along the line, somebody said, whenever you come up with an idea that's probably a cliched idea, that's the first idea, then come up with five more. And then kind of see where that I never gets heard that, but that's good. Because the first yeah. few ideas are probably just cliches. Well, yeah. sometimes you just start from a cliche. You say, I no. know this is cliche, but what if this... And then that will push you to what's the non-cliche version of this? What's the... Or, you know, you'll point out this this moment in, in the story that we're talking about. You're, you're telling the audience what they need to see. How do we show it? And then you go around the room and try and figure out what the best way to show the idea is. Mm-hmm. And again, you just have to, you have to throw out a thousand bad things to get to something good. And you aren't always the best judge of what's good versus bad. You need yeah. someone else to listen. Yeah. All right, any uh, parting thoughts? No. You want to get back to lunch? Pretty much. Yeah. Let's, All right. Let's, we're done. We're done. Here. We're, we're done. done. What, what did you have for lunch? I had a, a Montreal smoked meat sandwich from okay. Wawa. Let's just be clear about this. This was offensive to both both of us. Yes. <laughs> well, because you can't get across the table and I are both from Montreal. From Montreal, yeah. And I right here comes down to lunch. From Lethbridge, Alberta. From fucking Lethbridge, Alberta. We asked him what he had for lunch and he, he says, says, I have Montreal, Montreal smoked meat sandwich from Loblaws. Come on! Who says that? Who yeah, says that? basically exploded. It was right? delicious. It was a delicious product. Yeah, um, it's good. Yeah, love that. Yeah, I got, I got, I got a, a milkshake here for you with uh, some some soy soy milk and uh, and uh, you know calorie free chocolate. Well done, Loblos. Well yeah. done, Loblos. <laughs> well done, game of life. The, the only parting thoughts I have are that uh, is that like it's just like I know it sounds it's, it's, it's it, it, this is cliche, but simple ideas like it's just tough if, if, if you have a simple hook. Of, a per, of, of, of whatever that idea for that movie is and that sounds cool to you then you know an idea does not mean a backdrop like it's another zombie thing there's a hundred more ways to make zombie stories interesting or vampires or fucking mummies whatever it is but it's that cool concept that is what's going to make is what's going to be the genesis of your idea that's going to that's going to sell it and you know if only you stop there and just develop that idea then you're okay but it's like you know that's what's missing from so many of these things, and it's it's the hardest thing to do, and at the same time it's the one essential thing. So, well, thank you to the war room, guys. This is uh, episode number seventy one. You can find at crafttruck.com forward slash seventy one for the show notes, including a link to the definition of umami and ironic <laughs> torque. <laughs> ironic <laughs> torque. <laughs> we'll be back next week, everybody. Thanks Bye. for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.